Okay, please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I'll be reading Galatians 5, verses 19 through 25. Galatians 5, 19 through 25. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with or walk by the Spirit. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, purposed Word from all eternity through the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Galatians. And so, Father, I ask that You allow us the privilege of seeing with a veil unlifted the beauty and the glory of this gospel of salvation, this gospel that is sanctifying and purifying a bride for Christ. May all in here have ears to hear what the Spirit says in this text to the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This question for you, who are Christians, believers in Jesus, have you noticed that since you came to Christ, you have new desires. You have a desire to worship God, to follow Christ, to hate your own sin, to pursue holiness. Okay, anybody? A little bit of a link? Okay. Alright, let's assume now. Here's the next question. As you therefore go on in your Christian life and you walk that path, have you also noticed that you have a very intimate relationship with your sinfulness? Your ongoing godless passions? Say yes. Because if you don't, you are sinning by not acknowledging that. That right there, that is the genuine Christian life. And that is why we who are believers, who have come to Christ, who have been called to be part of His bride and His church, we are in constant need of commands, exhortations, community pressure to walk by the Spirit so that we will not be living out in some pathway of unrepentance in the gratification of the desires that are within every one of us called the flesh. We saw the last time we were together in Galatians in verse 17 that Paul laid out this very state that every believer is actually in. This tension that is the Christian life. So notice there in verse 17. 
For the desires of the flesh, let's make clear, Paul doesn't mean humanity in this text here, in verse 17. He means those who have been miraculously raised from the dead spiritually. Their eyes have been opened to see the light of the glory of Christ. They have been converted to Jesus. That is who he is referring to. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That is what it is to be a Christian. And therefore, God gives us lists. Don't walk this path, the works of the flesh. Walk this path, the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us lists precisely because we are born again. He does it because God Himself the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the root of our very nature is still not pure, spotless, sinless. And so He gives lists. He gives maps. He says, here is a map of a pathway that leads to eternal just destruction or condemnation. Go down this path. Let that be your life. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he gives a map of the path of what it is to walk in the light of Christ who dwells in us, our hope of future glory. In this text, they're called the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. He lays them out. Now, since we've been in Galatians for I don't know how many months... If you've got a feel for Paul, then, then we should feel together the tightrope that Paul is walking now in chapter 5 at this point. I, I mean, he has labored to argue extensively how dangerous lists are. How dangerous rules, law is to sinful humans. How the sin nature of humanity takes God's perfect holy law and twists it and becomes more sinful. That's what this book has been about. So, so list, and Paul knows this, they're very dangerous because Paul knows that instead of using the list in order to seek transformation from the inside out by the Holy Spirit, human beings, even in the guise of Christianity, may use list in order to exalt their sin of legalism. Religion, I can do that. Give me a list. I mean, actually, I love discipline. I'm one of those people. I had a good upbringing. I can do list. And, oh, I look at those fruit of the Spirit. Some of those are very easy for me. I'm naturally a kind and a gentle person. I can do list. And they go for it. And all of their doing of those lists are itself sin manifesting itself as a work of the law in order to show how good they are. Paul knows this. These lists could be used to deepen our sin. They could be used as a platform for legalism, our self-sufficiency, our worthiness, instead of what they're meant for as means to help us overcome the flesh and to walk by the Spirit. That's what they're for. But in the context, when you read the context 
carefully of what Paul's doing. That first option, to use them as legalism, you cannot get it out of this text. So here's the logic of the flow. Remember, starting back in verses 16 and 17, Paul has said very clearly, there is in the Christian who has been born again, in other words, there is a war of desires going on. That's the life of a Christian. The flesh is at war with what the Holy Spirit is producing in the desire factory. And what the Holy Spirit is producing in our desire factory through the Word of God, that is at war against these other desires coming from what Paul calls the flesh. And therefore his main point was this, Christian, therefore, because of that reality, every day you are to be making decisions. Decide to walk by the desires of the Spirit so that you won't be doing, fulfilling, and acting out the desires of the flesh. Okay? That's his context. And so now this morning we come up to verse 19 where he begins to give two lists. He gives specific Examples of the flesh and specific examples of the manifestation in our lives of the Holy Spirit. And he does it not so that those lists would become means to sin, that is legalism, but he does it as a motivation. The constant clarity of motivation that we would stay desperate to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit producing faith in us day after day. As we read these lists, Paul's goal is not to change the facade of our life. That's a real danger, isn't it, in Christianity? Really, especially when you try not to be known, I go to church. I don't, do kids know what a time card is anymore? I can't even use that. Punch a time card. I did it. Went to Mass. Went to Evangelical Church Service. Did my duty. Do it once a week. And no one knows me. Dangerous. It is to be changed from the inside out. That does it. Therefore, there's a something about being changed by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit that's not afraid with a fellow believer to say, this is how ugly I am. And I'll have to prove to you something. But that also doesn't mean, I'm ugly, so I'm going to be honest with how ugly I am around you. That's also sinful, and Paul lays these kinds of things out. Paul's goal is not to change the surface, but his goal is stated very clearly. It is being led by the Holy Spirit and thus being changed from the inside out. That's at the core of what I think he means down in verse 25. If it's true, we live by the Spirit. Are you alive? I mean, not just religion. Have you come alive by the Holy Spirit? Then let us also keep in step with or walk by the Holy Spirit. So, we spend a few minutes and work our way slowly through these two lists. We start with the first list, the works of the flesh. When you look at it, you can really divide this list up into four categories. The first category are sexual sins. The second category is heathen worship. 
The third category is your marriage. I mean, or anything else. Uh, Social and personal relationship sins. And the fourth is the use of alcohol for drunkenness. So, start at the top. The first category, sexual sins. First one he lists. I'm just going by the ESV to start with here. Sexual immorality. Porneia. King James translates it fornication. The New American immorality. This is the word in the culture that essentially means acting out with other persons sexually that you are not married to. Most particularly those unmarried persons having sexual contact with others. Fornication. Second word, Impurity. King James translates it uncleanness. Just just think in our language now, from the Greek to our language here. This is the basic word, literally, that means dirt. What? We do it. We say, is that a dirty movie? Right? We use that literal, we use it figuratively. So did they. And And this dirtiness or uncleanness clearly has to do with sex. It has to do with immoral sex in its manifestations, in the culture that they're tempted with, like we are today. Thirdly, sensuality. King James translates that, you know that word you use every day, lasciviousness. Maybe only Bob does that. It means lewd or lustful. Or the NIV translates it debauchery, meaning extreme indulgence in sensuality. Now, it's okay. What, what this word is getting at is it, it understands that all pubescent and post pubescent people are sexual beings. What this is getting at is the going with and gratifying the whims and the desires of your sexual nature when it is even against God's law. It means just to throw off all restraints. What are you, a prude? What are you, 27 years old and you're a virgin man? Or woman? What's the matter with you? That's your culture. Sensuality means, and what he's coming against, the work of the flesh is, just give in and walk according to what is so natural. Then there's a second category. Heathen worship, first one is there, idolatry. And that's where we get our English word idolatry. It's from the Greek, which is pretty much sounds like Idolatry, which is the worship of false idols. And Paul himself was very clear two times in his writings that he would say covetousness, which means these inordinate desires, if I had that, I'd really be happy. Thus, God, I'm replacing you. Or as Jesus said, you can't worship God and money same time and in the same way. It's covetousness. And he says, which is idolatry. This is a work coming from our flesh. The next word, the ESV and the New American translate it, sorcery. The King James and NIV translate it, witchcraft. It's the word, here it is, pharmakeia. You can hear it, right? It's where we get our word for pharmacy. It's where we get our word for drugs. This is what it had to do. It had to do with drugs. It had to do with understanding what's kind of plants and you know can have effect upon you. But it was often used not only maybe to poison somebody, but to use in a witchcraft or this idea of I want to get into the spirit world and be controlled by or think that I'm going to control spirits by opium and other kinds of drugs. It's a work of the flesh. And then there's the third category. The social and interpersonal relationship category. The first one is 
enmities, plural, King James NIV translated hatred. It just refers to, here's the work of the flesh, here's the sin coming out, is th- th- those hostile, hate-filled feelings toward others. It's a work of the flesh. Next, strife, or NIV, discord. What this word means, what Paul's getting at, is this is this disposition that just loves to stir up strife. It's just bent to come into the room, and people, if you know people like this, and you know them for a while, you realize, uh oh, I'm on edge, strife's coming. Everything's going to get unsettled here. It's that bickering, that quarreling person. Next, jealousy. That just it's resentment that others have what you don't have. It's there. And you're jealous. And it's sin. Next, fits of anger. King James, wrath, NIV, fits of rage, and a New American, outburst of anger. This refers to the acts, they didn't just come out of nowhere, they start with this boiling, fiery anger there in our emotions, in our soul, and then it expresses itself in fits of anger. Next, rivalries. It's not a football analogy here. New American says disputes. NIV, selfish ambition. And why do they do that? Rivalry, selfish ambition? Because that's really at the core of what this word means. This is the idea of a mercenary spirit. Okay, you know what? Okay, if you don't know mercenary or young people, uh, okay, this country, these, this group, that king fighting this king, we're fighting for our people, our land. We fight for the bigger and the whole, and we're going to battle. A mercenary says, "I don't care who wins. Who's going to pay me the most?" It's totally and constantly out for itself. It is constantly there for going through life, stepping on people. I'll climb the ladder, the corporate ladder. I'll climb a ladder in church. I don't care who I have to step on to do it. It's just that spirit of, I'm going to get ahead at the expense of others. It's a work of the flesh. The next word, dissensions. This means essentially just the person who wants to cause division among people. It's that divisive spirit. Next, divisions. New American NIV say factions. This refers to the sectarian, apart from, special group. I'm a part of this group, not that group. It's really, I mean, we could just use our, our word, cliques. The cliquish person. I like it when I'm in the in crowd, they're not in. Let's not let them into our crowd. It's a work of the flesh. Next, envy. That just means you resent another's good fortune. You can't rejoice with them. You're angry. I didn't get that. They got that. That's sin. It's a work of the flesh. And then there's that final group. Two words. Drunkenness. It's the use of alcohol for the purposes of becoming highly intoxicated by it. And it becomes that part of a person's life. I use alcohol in order... Okay, this is where it gets... Let me stop. This is where it gets touchy, right, in our American church. Because a lot of you young people have no idea that the backlash that's happening in your generation within evangelicalism... And there needed to be some backlash. Because if you looked at most conservative evangelical 
church membership requirements, you had to swear you would never let a sip of beer or wine touch your lips. Okay. And this comes out of fundamentalism. And it was also a response to the horror of alcoholism and the destruction of families and the abuse that would happen in marriages and everything else. Okay. And then it just became settled. By definition, if you touch alcohol, it is sinful. Okay, that's too far. You can't get that out of the Bible. And now we're in this backlash. It's been really cool in the last 15 years in evangelicalism. We drink. And very dangerous. Okay, is it sinful to drink alcohol? No, can't get that out of the Bible. Are you a drunkard? That's sin. It's a work of the flesh. Stop. Where am I? Oh, last one. Orgies. Now I know we think, oh, orgies, okay. It, this is also connected with alcohol, believe it or not. This is that cultural, wild, sexual slash with alcohol really helps you let down barriers of your sensuality. Orgies with Numbers of persons and people. It's just partying, heathen worship of drunkenness and orgies. Now, to this other list. Whew, thank goodness. The fruit of the Spirit. Love. Well, we spent so much time on this already in chapter 5. It's love. Others care about them. Joy. Joy? Why is that a fruit of the Spirit? How could it not be? For any human being, sinful, wrath-doomed human being who has had the miracle of the veil unlifted to see the light of the Gospel of Christ and the promises that Jesus purchased forever and ever, how could there not be in them joy even in the midst of much trouble down here? I mean, Paul said it this way in Romans 15, 13. It is joy and it's peace in believing the gospel. Well, Peter writes, in the context of horrific persecutions in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you rejoice. And he, this is in the fiery trials of your faith and pain in this temporal world. The, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and it's filled with glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. That's the joy the Holy Spirit is producing in believers. In peace. Do you know that God's at peace with you, believer? If that doesn't produce joy, then you don't get the gospel. God, who was not at peace without Christ, what was wrathful, is at peace with you. And that peace, and I think Paul's pushing it horizontally here, that's what frees you. In the midst of a world where it's hard at times, for you, if the other person is willing to be at peace with them. You're a peaceful person. Not a divisive, hateful, but peace. Next, patience. Okay, what's that mean? It means you put up with stuff. And thus you're slow to anger. Oh, we need the Holy Spirit. Kindness, the next one. There's no such thing as kindness that doesn't act. Well, no, He's really kind inside. No, it is the acts that are kind. It is making ourselves truly useful to others. Goodness. Wow, that's what is that? There's a good person. There's a good soul. That's a disposition. A goodness is this disposition of caring for the needs of others. Wow, that's a good person. 
This is the opposite. That this goodness doesn't exist at the same time and in the same way that jealousy is existing. It can't. It's good. Faithfulness. This is that moral, and I mean that on purpose, quality. This ethical quality of being a trustworthy person. Your word is your bond. You're dependable. Gentleness. That has to do with the manner. Some of us struggle more than others with this one. This is one that I have written to remind me to be gentle. Dealing with others in a gentle manner. Which means self-control, which will be the last one there, but the self-control of gentleness is keeping your emotions in check. Doesn't mean it doesn't have emotions, doesn't have strong passions, but it's gentle because it has self-control over its passions, which is the last one. Self-control. That means you're the master and you make your desires and your passions your slave and not the other way around. And you look in the, go look up self-control in the concordance and look in the New Testament in Paul's letters. This is such a huge aspect of the core of the Christian life. To be in control of your actions, which means to control the desires that undergird them, which is the whole point of these lists of the battle, of the war, of the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the Spirit. Alright, so we've done it. We've gone through every word he gave us. Here's the point. What Paul is doing with these lists, he is making it clear that for genuine Christians, the root of who we are naturally, the way we're born into this world and the habits we have and that's still within our soul, we're still corrupted. We're still broken, we're still sinful, we're still laden with pride. And therefore when he gives these lists, these lists are not merely about dressing up the exterior and cleaning the outside of the cup. As Jesus said, when you look inside, when no one's looking, you're full of dead men's bones and unconvertedness. That's not what Paul's about here. They are these lists which are meant to look at. They're meant to contemplate. They're meant to say, I'm going to walk this way and not that way. They are about dying daily. But I say walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Holy Spirit in us, they're against our flesh. For these are opposed to each other in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So when Paul says here, the works of the flesh... He doesn't mean the works of your physical body. If you, just, if you were to just be apart from your physical body, you would have no problem with sin. It's not what he is saying. He doesn't mean the works of your body as if your body is the sole cause of your sinfulness. How is your body the cause of strife? How is your body the cause of hatred or jealousy? Or envy. Okay, see? So, by flesh, we have seen the preceding weeks, he means the sinful I, Joe. He means the self sufficient, independent I. Okay, now I'm going I'm to do this way on purpose now. This is why this is only true for Christians here, not for non Christians. He means by flesh the old I. The I that hates 
yielding to God as the authority of our lives and how we shall live. He means that I. Now, if you would, you can either turn or listen. I want to turn over to Ephesians 1 for a moment. Because Paul fairly, thoroughly lays out the old I. Talking to the church, talking to Christians. And you, believer who's come alive, we'll see that in a second, you were dead in the trespasses and sins, now listen to them, in which you once acted. means walked out. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Unbelievers. Among whom... We, all of us Christians, once just lived unabated. Lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and of the intellect. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then Paul says, But God... He did something. He made us alive, spiritually, together with Christ. And here we, here we are. Still walking in this mortal flesh. And the point that Paul is making is that old eye, right there, that old eye, sin nature, he or she is constantly lurking in you. Even though you're alive to Christ. Listen how Paul describes his life in Galatians. I, hear it? I have been crucified with Christ. What do you mean? He means the old I. The old I has been crucified with Christ. I wake up again today, and it is no longer. I, meaning the old I, who live. But it is Christ who lives in me. That's the Holy Spirit. And the life I, that's the new I, the life I now live in the flesh. I live, how does the new I, the new I live? I live by trust, faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. There's the tension. That's the Christian life. And now we're in chapter 5. But think, think about the flesh in Paul's use of this term. Throughout Galatians now, up to this point, he has been showing what the flesh looks like in its religious form. Legalism. Pride. That's what it produces. Do you remember chapter 3, verse 3? He said, Are you so foolish, having begun the Christian life by the work of the Spirit? Are you now trying to be perfected by the works of the law? Right? Except that's not how he said it in verse 3. Are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh, the sinful nature, which loves religion, legalism, and so much that if you're a Judaizer and Paul goes tells other people who are not Jews that they can be saved without doing all the prideful things you do, you're angry. That's the flesh. That's what he's been saying about the flesh. Now in chapter 5, he says, oh, let me go to the other end of it and let me give you a glimpse of the flesh, not in its religious form, but in the form of whatever feels good, do it. 
It feels good to be angry and to lash out now. And so you do it. I love my girlfriend. We were going to get married, so let's have sex. So you do it. He says, this is what it looks like, and it's do it if it feels good for him. And at the core, Paul lays out the flesh, which at its essence is rebellion against God. And so he gives these immoral attitudes of sexual, unmarried sin, of sex, hatred, envy, etc. Now let's just contemplate what, what this list. And remember at the end he says what? And all kinds of other things essentially like this. It's not like, here's the list. Okay, I didn't do any of those. I'm good. Oh, no, 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 no. There's hundreds of more that he's thinking you're smart enough to, if you got this list, you can understand the web of how it reaches out. But think about our lives. In some of these words he uses, like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, just bickering and quarrelsome spirit, dissensions, divisions, envy. Just, just think about those for a minute. All of those are emotions. Where are they coming from? They are emotions. They are sentiments. They are passionate feelings that rise up within us. But why? Why does envy rise up? Why jealousy? Why division? Why hatred? How come? I submit, essentially, it's the same reason that the Judaizers fell into religious legalism. It feels, our flesh feels, it deserves better than it's getting. Take envy. What is that? That's a heart that thinks it's worthy of more than it's getting especially in relation to that other person and that other person. That's at the core of envy. Jealousy is essentially the same thing. I feel I deserve what the other person got. And I'm jealous. But how about sinful anger? Where's that really coming from? I submit, if you know your Bible... And you know God is God, that at the core of our sinful anger is a dissatisfaction with God. Meaning, with God's providence in my life right now. So we're angry. We don't like to, tie, I don't, we don't like to connect the dots. But that's at the core. And so when we blow up in a marriage, in anger, or we just blow up with the silly things we've got to deal with in Southern California in traffic, let's convert all the emotion into English language. It essentially is saying something like this. Who are you, God, to not see that I deserve better right now than this traffic? or this attitude, or this sickness, or this financial turn for the worse, or this, or this. The whole point is that the flesh is the deception of independence, self-sufficiency, that at its core really believes we deserve better. That's what the Judaizers were about. That's why they're so angry at Paul, because Paul challenged that. And it was very personal to them. And in its non-religious form, that's what envy is about. I also 
and special like the Judaizers. I just express it in envy. So envious because that person got what I know I deserve. That's the root of sin in the flesh. Or just to say, let me just say all of that now in another way. The flesh is that part of us that hates grace. Hates it. It's that part of us that doesn't think of its own abilities. I'm just natural. What are you talking about? This is so easy. School here is easy. This is easy. Being kind dispositionally is easy. Having gift X, Y, and Z, it doesn't think, the flesh doesn't think of its gifts as blessings. It doesn't think of its joys and its satisfactions. I was born in America. Even if my family is considered poor, I'm rich. It doesn't, it doesn't think about those things. It's God's blessings. They're unbelievable. I've done nothing for that doesn't see its blessings, its abilities, its gifts to make money or anything else as God's mercy to the flesh. But instead, it sees it. I've earned it. I deserve it. That's why I'm where I'm at. That's flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit... What is that? It's different than that. It's flowing from the work of the Spirit, which means from a heart of childlike faith or trust or dependence on God's grace. It's all grace. And therefore... When the fruit is flowing right here in this particular instance, and it's a work of the Spirit, that person is in tune with the truth that he or she deserves only condemnation and is amazed at the gifts of the Father. The new eye, the eye of the Holy Spirit working in us, it tastes its own sinfulness, its own unworthiness. And so as it walks by the Spirit, it is turning and fighting its self-reliance, its deception of independence and of I deserve better. And it is turning and looking only to the mercy that is found alone in Jesus Christ. And so it sees there's dinner on the table. I have a roof of my head. My kids are being schooled. It sees blessings out of the blue and it rejoices in them. It's pure gifts and it produces gratitude. And when it experiences all kinds of unwelcome temporal things we would not wish upon ourselves, that same heart by the Spirit, it turns to Romans 8, 28, and believes it. For God causes even this, all things to work together for my good, because I'm one of those who, I love Him, and I'm called by Him, according to His purpose. And so, no envy rises in that moment of the other person who is not experiencing the trauma or the pain that you are. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so, as a whole, these two lists, the list of the works of our sinful nature, the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit, Paul is not referring to mere out 
word social virtues. It's not what he's after. They manifest themselves that way, but he's talking about the heart. It's another way for Paul to say what he's already said back in verse 5. The Christian life is that we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Faith working itself out in the fruit of the Spirit. They are heart issues that Paul is driving at. Our heart toward God or not at any given moment. And so the Christian life for every one of us that is a believer is this. We'll find ourselves in the next seven days at any given moment manifesting the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires that the Holy Spirit is producing are against the flesh. For they are in opposition, they are in war, they are in battle against each other. And so true believers, born again persons, are in the thick of this battle precisely because they have been born again. Or as Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Don't read Paul to say, whew, awesome, game over, done, going to coast the rest of my life. That's not what Paul means. Because those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh, the game has begun. And that's how he says it in Romans 7. A very familiar Romans 7. Just, just listen to verse 23. Paul says, this is what a Christian is. I, Paul says, I see in my members another law, another principle, another reality that is waging war against the law of my mind and I want to follow Christ I want to I, I want to walk in holiness and they're at battle and, and that other law is making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members that's Christianity there is a war that we must fight daily. We are commanded to be killing sin that remains. Not the devil's sin, your sin in us. For Paul says in Romans 8, if you live according to the fleshly desires in you, and that's how you're going to walk, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This war is not optional. We are either killing sin, the flesh, or we die. And the, the issue of this battle, just to make it clear again, is not, not ever sinning anymore. It's not the issue. It's not about perfection. Paul has been clear. John is clear. You say you have no sin. You deceive yourself. You're a liar. It is about the ongoing battle against sinful desires and passions which are warring against the work of the Holy Spirit that He's producing in you through the written Word of God. So, Paul means for us to take 
the list. The works of the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit. And use them. He means for these lists to be a mirror into the state of our souls. So that as we look at the works of the flesh, we will see, oh, I'm undone in this way. I can see my sin has been gaining the ascendancy this week and that we would flee from it. That we would look at the fruit and say, I feel so woefully undone in kindness. Oh, my prayers are directed to be more kind in this situation. He means for these to be a mirror. And so, a little bit more practical, I hope. How? As we walk this life of constant internal battle of our flesh versus the work of the Holy Spirit. You said this is true Christianity. I feel comforted in that. Okay, what do I do? How do we walk? Okay, here's my shot at it. Daily, prayerfully, consciously, you must Continually think about and consider your old eye, the flesh eye, dead. Just consider it. You're dead. Or let me let me say it very eloquently this way: You live the Christian life by smacking down your flesh. Constantly, as if it's a little demonic creature trying to bark at you. You smack it. And you be dead serious about it. And you hate it. And you do it again and again and again and again. And you do it by humbling yourself under the truth of Scripture. That's how Paul lived his life from conversion to getting his head chopped off. I think. But what he said he does. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I discipline my body and Keep it under control. So that after preaching to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Okay, let me give you the literal. That was kind of sweet. Paul says, I pummel and smack down my body. And literally he says, I make it my slave. Not the other way. He does it, and he does it prayerfully, and he does it consciously. That's how he walks. And so he tells all of us believers, through his writing to the Romans in chapter 6, verses 11-13, he says, so you, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so Christian, as he goes on, therefore what? Do not let sin be a master in you the slave. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness in stealing and with a nasty tongue or with your sexual organs. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Oh, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. That's the battle against the flesh. And Paul gives very practical advice on how to wage the war in Ephesians 6 when he says to us, take up the sword. You're in a battle. Take up the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the Scripture, which is the Word of God, praying always. That's how you fight. You have to have the Scripture. You have to memorize it. You have to know it. You have to turn it over. You have to live in it to fight the battle. The psalmist in 119.11 says to us, I have stored up Your Word in my heart, God, so that I might not sin against You. And so we who are in Jesus, we're not playing games. We are in a daily warfare during this mortal life. And if you don't take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and fight, you will die. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who are doing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with, walk by the Spirit. And so if you fight by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means wielding the sword, the Word of God, then you will win. You will live and you will inherit the kingdom of God. Everything is at stake in whether you fight with the sword or not. So take up the Scriptures. Take them up every day. Take them up in the community of the saints of the preached Word. Take them up in your Bible reading, in your memorization. Take them up in reading the Bible to one another. Take up the sword of the Spirit and go into battle every day against your flesh. Because Jesus has won the victory. And that's why His do that. And that's what communion is about this morning. As we are going to partake of the bread and of the cup, we're going back 
to the source of everything you heard laid out here. That's the Christian life. That's the victory that He bought. So as it comes by you and you're a baptized believer, take of it, hold it. We will pray over it together and rejoice in the victory that Jesus has purchased for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, You are good. Your ways are good. And Jesus, You are so right that it is better that You die and rise and go away in the ascension so that You would send the Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that we can walk by the Spirit and not be fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That we could see fruit on the vine of Christ who dwells within us and find much encouragement. We are desperate for Your work in our lives. We're desperate for the moving and the strength of Your Spirit. And as we will partake and remember, You have purchased just that. We rest in You in the midst of the battle to the glory. Amen. Yeah.